So it's really about restoring a, a non-shameful sense of self and preferences around pleasure, which we don't talk about that much. Certainly not in the field of sex addiction. We don't talk about pleasure. We talk about how do you stop the destructive exactly. sexual behaviors. Yeah. Welcome to the Ignited Recovery Podcast, a new way forward for anyone looking for answers but feeling left out. If you've been searching for empowerment, triumph, and purpose, you've found them right here. You won't hear the same solutions, and you're not going to have any excuses to fall back on, because Ignited Recovery allows heroes to rise and become their best selves. I'm Dr. Adi Jaffe, and I can't wait to be your guide on this journey. Are you ready to become an Ignited Hero? Alex, um, you are the clinical director and the founder of the Center for Healthy Sex in Los Angeles. Correct. And I don't think we've ever said it specifically on this podcast, but the Center for Healthy Sex is where I went to do my therapy initially when we first, first started dealing with this in the context of sex addiction. Correct. Like we had a couple's therapists before and then more things got revealed and then we dove into Center for Healthy Sex. And that's where, where Mark, our therapist who ended up passing, that's where we met him. And we, oh, we, we essentially did a, got, a, an, our own version of an outpatient rehab. You guys were nice enough to let me modify the, your intensive two week because mm -hmm. I couldn't afford it. And we were definitely not at the point where I was going to come to my parents and ask for mm -hmm. money. I think my dad had just passed. It was, it was not a very good time in my yeah. family at all. So because we couldn't afford that, we created some modified version. With uh -huh. How'd you get to the, doing this work though? Well, I was going to say my work and my, my conceptualization of this problem has evolved and continues to evolve from when I first started. So I first started working in the field of sex addiction in 1998 uh, because I was extremely interested in human sexuality, but I couldn't find an internship in human sexuality. I mean, they were all like DMH, Department of Mental Health internships, and mostly paper pushing and um, I found one internship in this thing called sex addiction. And what I saw, and when I was working there at that time, it was a pretty hardcore medical model of change your thoughts, change your behaviors, and stop it, essentially. And we were getting a lot of people sexually sober or abstinent from their behavior, but nobody knew how to have sex again. And in fact, I was working with a lot of single men that were just terrified to be sexual again, which yeah. was no good. Um, and that's where I got the idea to write Erotic Intelligence, which was my first book about how do I um, you know, think about helping people restore their sexuality to something good and true and beautiful? And how do I think about this problem on a continuum as opposed to it's just aberrant sexual behavior? What about the erotic? What about the celebration of sex and sexuality? Mm. Um, and, and because most people that are sex addicts have been harmed. Their sexuality was harmed in some way early on, typically because they were grossly shamed. Um, and then the sex addiction itself is traumatizing and sort of self-abusive, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it's really about restoring uh, a non-shameful sense of self and preferences around pleasure, which we don't talk about that much. Certainly not in the field of sex addiction. We don't talk about pleasure. We talk about how do you stop the destructive exactly. sexual behaviors. Yeah.
Totally. And I, and I think this is why I find people who work in sex addiction and people who work in food addictions mm-hmm. are the two groups of people who really understand my concepts around stop focusing on, on quitting the substance or the drug, right. alcohol, whatever, whatever it is you're struggling with, um, as the way to get help. That's fine. It'll stop the symptoms for a while, but it doesn't get to the root cause of what it is that's happening. And definitely, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to expand about it as we talk about it here. In the context of sex addiction, certainly the attitude for most people is that sex addicts are pedophiles and rapists. Right. And that creates... As opposed to they're your doctor, your neighbor, your best friend, um, your brother-in-law, your partner, your partner, the guy sitting next to you in the movie theater. Yeah. (laughs) Just people. Absolutely. Um, And because of that stigma, because of the deep, I think the easiest way to say it is just misunderstanding about who these people are. I see sex addiction as one of the most taboo areas of addiction still to this day so nobody really wants to talk about it because you're afraid you're going to get lumped in with pedophiles and and rapists and by Mm -hmm. the way pedophilia and sexual assault have a whole long list of things that we can talk about where there's probably some destigmatization there to do anyway of course yeah um but i know for me a lot of people i met it was around porn Mm -hmm. infidelity um and both sexual binging and sexual anorexia right and i love it and i'd love for you to expand on it i don't know that a lot of people when they come in to talk about hey there's a sex addiction going on anybody says to them well what turns you on no no that's (laughs) hardly ever the question it's almost like you're not allowed to be turned on i I think to some extent i still deal with we've talked about this before so but i still deal with things that used to turn me on that i'm not comfortable really bringing up either in our relationship or even in conversation because they're so connected to the trauma I put Sophie through. Right. Or like an old version of who you were. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Right. I mean, that's, I think a problem for people. I, um, you know, talked to one of my groups once about using my workbook, sexual reflections, which asked the question about what about your sexual acting out? Did you like, what were the activities that really turn you on? And he said, you know what? I just, I'm not going down that road because my wife is never going to engage in those things with me. And my marriage is more important than that thing. That thing happened to be group sex. So you can see where, all right, well, that's a negotiation. And if you're choosing to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to do that, then you give it up. It's, not, it's like if I said, I have to give up chocolate ice cream the rest of my life. I'm not going to die I'm not going to be that deprived. I might miss it, but I can get over it if my partner breaks out in hives every time I eat it. Yeah. Right? So I'm just not going to do it. Don't you find me, Sophie, I want you to chime in on this too, because don't you find sometimes, Sophie and I are pretty big envelope pushers. Mm-hmm. So we like pushing boundaries. But don't you find oftentimes that even when he's having this uh, client of yours is having that discussion, part of the reason there's so much pushback and fear from the partner is because of the obfuscation or the denial of those impulses and, and desires early in the relationship. Like it was never talked about. Sophie and I talk about radical transparency a lot. It was never transparently talked about. And now bringing it up is essentially re-traumatizing the partner 
Because it brings up the pain from the past. That's correct. And also for this person case, he would say that he didn't want to do it because it was incredibly dissociative for him and reenacted some other trauma from him historically. And he felt like, you know what? I've had a lot of wide and varied sex in my life. I don't need to do that. What's more important for me is this deep connection with my partner, which is something I'm new at and that's actually the novelty now. Love it. Love it. Because Sophie, you and I over the last, I guess now nine years or something have gone through waves of exploring our sexuality Mm -hmm. and what we want. Right. And it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable because there are these things we've been through that cause stickiness, pain and stickiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it's a constant tapping into, are we not exploring this area of ourselves, our intimacy, our sexuality, because we don't want to be triggered because of a, a, a place we don't want to look at. Like for me personally, I don't want there to be any areas of my life where there's like a cobwebby corner that I refuse to walk into because it's icky and gross and dirty. Like, I don't want there to be like, just cause I haven't been over there in a while. Like that isn't reason enough to not go over there. If anything, it's more reason to want to go clean it out. Of course. Make yeah. it right. Open the window, do some sure. spring, spray some, you know, Palo Santo spray, like whatever. <laughs> Let's clear it out and decide together. Well, maybe we just don't like that activity or we don't want to do that sexual thing because we both are aligned in that it doesn't feel good or a turn on. That's totally different than I'm going to shy away from any new fun things together that could possibly trigger us or bring us to a scary place. Like I don't ever want to live my place, my life from a place of fear right? Of what was because we're not those people anymore. And I that's right. Sure. You know, I don't well, think, I think of the, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think that's about having an adult sexuality, about willing to take oneself on and tolerate anxiety to see what's there. You might say, well, let's try this thing and you try it and you end up thinking it's the funniest, most ridiculous thing you ever did. And it's like, okay, well, we can mark that off the list. Mm. <laughs> that was really dumb. Um, but we got a lot of laughs out of it. It wasn't particularly sexy. Or it was just weird. And um, okay, next. I think actually what helped us to break out of, because like Adi said, like we went through the quote sex addiction and we went into a anorexia of like, we we weren't having sex. We, you know, as part of like the prescribed medicine of healing, it was Mm -hmm. okay, then be abstinent for a while so you can reset, which totally makes sense when I'm, out of control with eating, I then go on a cleanse, right? It's the same kind of thing of like wiping the slate clean, you know, drinking a liver cleanse smoothie every day for seven days. And then at the end of that, okay, now I can like reflect on my habits and revisit them. So we did that for a matter of time. And then when we were quote allowed to have sex again um, and be intimate, we didn't know what to do. We didn't... Mm know where to start. We didn't know, you know, I had just had my first child who's now nine and I didn't even know like how to behave with him and he didn't with me. And there were all these, you know, wounds. And 
you know, there's no one in the bedroom with us and there's no one mm-hmm. really, you know, Mark did the best he could and he held our, our hand and would help us, you know, start with holding hands and move from there. But then, you know, if it were up to us and it wasn't our homework, we would just keep it safe, play it safe. Right. And then after some time of playing it safe, we realized it's not what we wanted. And what actually felt safe to us was, okay, what if we try new things together that neither of us have ever done before? And that felt fun because then we got to explore together in a new way. And it didn't feel triggering because it wasn't something that he had done with his past partners, which was then triggering. Right. It was just something for us. And that helped our relationship grow. And I think that was a big turning point for us was like, what can we create just for us that neither of us have ever gone through before? And that created a new intimacy and a new playfulness and a new fun because we were making up the rules. It wasn't based off like past experiences. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's Adia again. And I want to share with you something that I believe is one of the most useful free tools I've ever created for my clients and for you. It's our free, personalized, my drinking score report. Look, you already know that at Ignited, we don't care much for labels and we don't believe in any of those once a blah, 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 always a blah, blah, blah slogan. But if you are questioning your specific relationship with alcohol, you may be trying to figure out how to understand what you need to do and whether you're moving in the right direction. Well, then this completely free tool is for you and will give you the answers you're looking for. All you're going to do is you're going to take a five-minute quiz answering simple questions that you know the answers to. And then like magic, our system is going to spit out a custom report so that you can find out more about your relationship with alcohol and actually get guidance and help to some of the changes that you can individually make. I created this tool to give you a customized, personalized, virtual resource that you can take at any time and that makes it easy to get the exact recommendations and steps that you need to help eliminate your struggles. Anybody can take it. And did I mention that it's completely 100% free? Well, it is. So stop running around in circles trying to figure out why you're having a hard time getting sober and get real solutions and guidance to help transform your life and get ignited forever. Just pause this audio right now and go to ignited.com forward slash go. Again, that's ignited.com forward slash go and take our five minute quiz right now. Find out what your drinking score is and then share it and tag us on Instagram or Facebook because remember, fuck shame. Together, we get to move forward and get better every day. Well, I can see where that would have been really healing for you because most partners talk about feeling like they're being compared to an affair partner or a sex worker. Um, And, you know, did you do that with her? And what was she like? And, and, and. Um, And I don't want to do anything with you if you did it with her. as opposed to, oh, what can we do new together that's ours? I really like that idea. And, and from there, then it was now, you know, almost a decade later with lots of work and lots of, like, the, what's the therapy where you keep, like, introducing the, like, spider, like the... Oh, exposure therapy? Yeah, like, I keep saying, like, I feel like I forced exposure therapy over and over again on myself, right. kind of like a psycho, but also okay. just to, like erase the intensity that I felt when I thought of certain things or certain people. Like sure. I kept wanting to talk about it with a D and honestly, I swear it helped to just continuously talk. 
And what else about her? And what, right. and what else, you know, and like, I really wanted to know because I love this person and I wanted to understand the inner workings of what made him tick, what turned him on, what made him feel, you know, like he wanted to behave in certain ways. And then how can we bring a certain energy that we can create that's new together? And so after we created the newness and we had the safety and we were creating new memories together, then I actually did feel safe enough to be like, well, what did you like most with your partners? Like, what Mm -hmm. did you love to do? And it had been so many years of the trust being built and the fun we were having together that I felt safe enough to like want to go into that world. Because again, that's also a a corner that you're not looking at. And for me, I don't want, yes, it is safe to not go back there. If it's too much, like you can have the chocolate ice cream. Sure. But also like chocolate ice cream is yummy. Mm -hmm. And like, can I I ask you a question that I can't ever really ask partners? Um, So was there any part of these stories about acting out that turned you on? I think so, but I think also it was more of just a curiosity. Okay. Because I'm like, I have a very like different sexual history where I was with the same partner for five years and then I met a D. Uh huh. Whereas he had several sexual partners and that was fascinating to me and also terrifying. I see. Eight years older than I am, a lot more life history, you know, was in an environment where he was a drug addict and a drug dealer. So he was Mm -hmm. around strippers, like just a different, to me, it was like a different universe. I call it the old D, but it was also a part of him. And so there's a part to me that of course is like, we could call it turned on or just very curious. Yeah, okay, like alive. That's, but that's different. Curiosity is different than sometimes partners upon discovery become hypersexual. Some of that's out of fear. Some of it's if if I have sex with him, then he won't leave me. But I often wonder, and this is really an irreverent question, if part of, you know, when we hear stories about, you know, sex that's sorted or, you know, in the dark or something like that, it, it can be arousing. Sure. But it's hard for partners to say, well, wow, that's really a turn on because I'm so mm-hmm. angry at you because you've been lying it to me for 10 years. I love, I mean, first of all, I love the question. Yeah. Secondly, do you feel sometimes like, again, because talking about sex in any way, honestly, other than the pretty typical kind of puritanical, you know, sex with not no pleasure, but some minimal amount of pleasure for the purpose of procreation is kind of what we look at as our standard, especially right. in the US, right? That there would be an element. I know I always wonder for, for you, Sophie, if this actually exists and it's part of the underlying thing because of what you've gone through in your own life, where it's actually hard to know what turns you on. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I say this? Sophie and I talk about this all the time. I'd love maybe oh, we're, yeah. doing a, we're doing a mini session with Alex. Here you go. Yeah. Um, Great. Great. You can't, if someone's, if someone says to you, what's your favorite food in the world? And you're like, I don't know. I haven't had all the foods in the world. How do I know? Yeah. Well, yeah. There's something I see when I talk to Sophie about it. We go through this, uh, I don't know, every few years. I grew up on porn. Like, right. Like most 11, men today. Yeah. Like <laughs> 11 years old on. I was looking at porn. Right. It stopped when I was in my mid thirties, right? Mid to late thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of years of getting almost all of your sexual arousal right. and information about naked bodies of the opposite sex and actually in your own sex um, in porn. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the world that existed. So one of the things that I tell Sophie a lot is the part of the programming, the habitual programming that comes out of that is almost kind of like the scanning of arousal. Like, um, I, I don't know how to describe it better than you see something and one of the first judgments is, does that thing turn me on or not? Sure. And for me, as, as it particularly relates to women and, you know, people of the opposite sex. And so sometimes I'll talk to Sophie and I'll ask her, like, we'll be at a place where I think there are a lot of attractive people. I said, do you think anybody here is attractive? Just as a yeah. curiosity question. Sure. And I think your answer normally, if I remember right, is, well, I don't know. Not really. There's some good looking people, but yeah. nobody that I mm-hmm. think is hot. Right. I also wasn't around, you know, the type of sex that you were around. Like, I think it is a come down to programming. Cause like the only virtual sex that I experienced was like HBO real sex, which is very different than pornography. Very yeah. different. It's real sex. Yes. It's yeah. on TV, but that's, that was my exposure. Once in a while, I'd like a friend, we would find like a dad's playboy or whatever, but like nothing that like, you know, was sure. Not a lot, you know, it was like once in a while. Yeah, I do think it's what we're exposed to early on. And I think these arousal templates get set really early on. So if you were a different person altogether, if you were a female that was sexually abused from the time you were five years old to 11 by, you know, an uncle and a brother... Um, then you're going to have a sexual precociousness just in, wired into the body where, you know, humiliation and degradation is a turn on. Yeah. And then maybe you would seek that kind of porn. And then as an adult, you would seek those kind of men that were hurtful. Yeah. And so it goes. And so that's not even in your, your brain and your body are not wired in that way at all. No, no. So and for that, you, you're also yeah. a mom. Yeah. Right. And so for you, you're not going to walk into a place and look for a guy to see who's hot. Yeah. I think it's different experience. I think it's also a female I've been, I've been the one pounced on and, and of course, yeah. on since I was 11. So it's the opposite where I turn in and recluse and think I don't like, I want to not hide, but just like, let me turn off let me shut energetically down. disappear. Right. I want to shut down sexual yeah. energy. I'm not going to elicit it because that is the opposite of what I want to attract. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whereas you're the opposite where you are the, the pouncer, you're the man, you're the dominant, you're the, I mean, a very, that, a very passive pouncing given the fact that for 20 years, it was like from porn, but yes, like I'm psychologically, not, psychologically, mm-hmm. not, not sure. literally you weren't pouncing people. I'm saying I mean, like, there are people who's, who have, yeah. But some of that is also, you know, biologically encoded, what you're right. talking about right. now. And we're talking about strict gender differences in strictly heterosexual people on that, those ends of the continuum. Yeah. I think that male, what you're calling pouncing, is a biological directive. For sure. So, and I think that's also why if, if I'm in a room of people and you were to say yeah. who is attractive to you, Right. I would name females before males because it feels right. safer. Because it feels sure. safer. I'm like, they're sure. not going to energetically put their sexuality and all that, you know, that hormonal stuff all over me. Whereas a woman right. is much more gentle and easier to approach. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in to the Ignited Heroes Recovery Podcast. I really hope you found the information here useful and that we'll see you back here next week. And look, I want to make sure that this podcast is the most useful it can be for you. So please let me know by emailing info at ignited.com. 
if there are any specific topics or questions you'd like to have addressed. As usual, if you like this episode, I would love for you to leave us a five-star review and rating. Thanks, and see you next week.